We're in our second uh, week in December, and uh, we're celebrating Advent by being in Philippians chapter 2. And we chose Philippians chapter 2 because it captures, uh, in a sense, both Advents, uh, both arrivals of Jesus. Uh, First, it looks back to when uh, Jesus came to earth. He, He left heaven and came as a baby. He shed his glory to come rescue us. Uh, It talks about the implication that that has on our lives, that that as he's poured out his life, the the kenosis, right, the the emptying of Christ, the pouring out of Jesus, as he's poured out his life on us, so we ought to then pour out our lives for one another as we wait for what? His second advent, his return, when he will uh, show himself to be Lord and King. And every knee will bow, every tongue confess, that's my God, that is King. Either in joyful submission, uh, hark the herald angels sing, and, and, and hope and joy and peace, that's my king, we will bend our knee. Or, in submission to him, as the king has come to reign and rule, and maybe we've rejected him. Uh, so we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, and both advents of Christ, and the implication that his first arrival and second arrival have in our lives. Last week we looked at the idea uh, that Jesus has poured himself into us. Uh, that uh, These first four verses, and, and I love the way that kind of the, the message puts them. Actually, it's just the first two verses. Uh, uh, listen to how Eugene Peterson in the message puts this, uh, the pouring into of Christ, what he has given us, the benefits of a relationship with Jesus, what, what we focused on last week. Listen to how Eugene Peterson puts it in his version, the message. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, If his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you know his heart, if you know his deep care and mercy, then do me a favor. (laughs) Agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. I love that. Uh, That's what we focused on last week. If there is any benefit from this relationship we have with the living God because of who Christ is and what he's done, if there's any encouragement uh, from a relationship with him, if there's any comfort from his love, if there's any fellowship in the spirit together, man, if we have these benefits, then respond. Uh, we, we looked at some kind of how this theme of how Jesus has poured his life into us. We, we looked at a couple different verses. Isaiah 53, verse 12. God will give a portion uh, among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong. Why? Because Jesus has poured out his life unto death for us. We looked at 1 Peter 1, 18, where uh, we know it's not with the perishable things such as gold or silver. We've been redeemed from what? The empty way of life that was handed down to us before Jesus poured himself in. Or, or 1 Peter uh, 1, verse or 3, verse 18, that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring us to God that these things might be true of us. He's poured himself in so much then that we, what overflow, pour ourselves out. That's where we'll focus this week. Verses 3 and 4. That the response to Jesus, the response to what God has done in our lives is this 
pervasive, uh, this uh, positional, this uh, proactive way to live where, where we now pour ourselves out for others. He's poured himself so abundantly into our lives that we can now pour ourselves out for others. Uh, we'll look at how this is pervasive. We'll look at how it's a persist, uh, positional decision. And we'll look at how it's a proactive movement of our lives. So let's get into uh, the text together. If you have your Bibles, I, I would encourage you uh, to bring your Bibles. Hopefully you're going along with us in the poured out curriculum. You can snag this online. Uh, it just kind of keeps us in Philippians chapter 2 that we might uh, kind of get uh, really in depth with this passage and get to know our Savior in it. Go ahead and turn uh, to Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. Pervasive, all-encompassing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's a huge command. <laughs> Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Uh, nothing. Uh, nowhere you or I go are we to be motivated by selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh, whether it's to work. When we rub shoulders with that coworker who is so annoying. Or if it's when we get home and, and we have to, again, uh, pour our lives out for uh, our, our, our spouse and our kids. And, and you, you day in, day out, give your life away as a mom and no one ever notices. Or, or you, you come home and your, your kids, they, they just want more and more from you, right? And, and, and Paul says, do nothing. Out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Wherever you are, whoever you're with, uh, whatever you think, whatever you say, whatever you look at, uh, whatever you long after, nothing. It's pervasive. Out of what? Selfish ambition. Uh, this idea to, to provide um, over and abundantly for yourself. Uh, to get something. To get this or that. That promotion. Uh, this uh, new car. Uh, that uh, house in that neighborhood. Th this or that. Uh, uh, in selfish ambition to be driven by getting something. It says do nothing out of that. Do nothing out of vain conceit. This idea, this uh, assessment of ourselves which is too lofty or high. Uh, not getting something, but being somebody and living as though you are somebody. Paul says, do nothing in a pervasive way out of these things, motivated by these things. Uh, these are uh, often the prime motivators in our life, aren't they? Selfish ambition or vain conceit. Getting something from me or making something of me, my identity or my acquisition. Uh, in the book we've uh, given everyone, and please snag a copy, it's a gift to you. You'll find the poured out card uh, in the middle of it as well. Tim Keller uh, relays this interview that Madonna has. Uh, you know, Madonna. Oh, like a bird, I want to. Yeah, I won't sing it. It's bad. It's really bad. I wasn't going to say, okay. In Vogue magazine, I mean, she was the biggest. She was the greatest, right? Um, here's what she says. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then 
I feel I'm still mediocre and, un- un- and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am a somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Keller goes on to say, I'll tell you one thing. Madonna knows herself better than most of us know ourselves. Every time she accomplishes something, these are the kinds of thoughts she has. Now I've got the verdict that I am somebody, but the next day I realize that unless I keep going, I'm not. My ego can't be satisfied. My sense of self, my desire for self-worth, my need to be sure I'm somebody, it's not fulfilled. I keep thinking I've won it from what people have said about me and what the magazines and the newspapers have written, but the next day I have to go and look somewhere else. Why? Because my ego is insatiable. It's a black hole. It doesn't matter how much I throw into it, the cupboard is always bare. I keep putting all sorts of things into it every morning, feeding it, and the next day it is bare. I become somebody, but I still need to become a somebody. We might be tempted to think she's neurotic. No, she knows herself, and she's ahead of you and me. <laughs> I've got to get this or that for myself to provide for myself. Uh, I've got to uh, live this or that way to make something of myself. I, I am motivated, captured by these desires. Uh, but, but the Lord wants to free us that we might have this new pervasive paradigm in our lives, that, that we could pour ourselves out in joy and freedom of his provision of identity and satisfaction and security. Uh, Maybe you can relate to this moment in your life when when you saw the good news of Jesus and it radically began to transform you. Uh, We'll hear from Jason Lee in this video. This poem, Invictus, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That was my life. Here I am, 22 years old. I got the job, I got the money, I got the girl, I got the friends. I got everything that I wanted. I've reached it. Pretty high opinion of myself. I thought that I was a good person. Total freedom. I was happy. But at the same time, I was empty. Something was wrong. It shouldn't be this way. I was like, you know what? Let me just go back to church. I haven't been to church in years. And I had such an awful attitude. I mean, I was slouched down and I was, my arms crossed. It's like, okay, what what does this church have to do with me? And then the preacher comes up and I did not like this guy. I mean, way too much energy at like 10.30 in the morning. But that was when I finally heard the gospel. What gravitated me to Jesus was that he came to fill us, to satisfy us. And noticing that there was an emptiness, a void in my life, that's what attracted me to Jesus. And I'm like, okay, God, I'm all in. See, the gospel creates a pervasive paradigm of pouring ourselves out because first, in when it comes to our selfish ambition, I have to get this or that. 
Christ comes from heaven with all the resources of heaven. He says, I give you what you're looking for. And when it comes to our our, uh, vain conceit of I have to be somebody, I have to live into this or that persona in order uh, to to be deemed by you as though I am somebody, or I have to live as though I am somebody, Jesus says, I make you my son or daughter. He makes us who we are and he gives us what we need. He's that mighty of a savior. He's that tender, compassionate, giving shepherd. He chased after you, he chased after me. And that transforms every nook and cranny of our life. Nothing, Paul says, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's done, it's finished in Christ. He's given you what you need, what you're looking for. He's made you who you long to be. And you know, that should then come naturally. That should flow out of us, right? Like, uh, okay, then I'll just pour myself out. But, but Paul goes on, uh, in a sense, with uh, more command. He says this, this might not happen naturally as it ought to, but do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, what? Count others more significant than yourselves. Uh, change your position. This whole pervasive mindset uh, comes from changing your position before others. And he says in humility, uh, uh, place yourself uh, under others. Uh, place yourself after others. Uh, count yourself this way. Make a decision in your mind uh, that you're going to place others before yourself. You'll come after. Uh, make a decision in your mind. Count yourself uh, after others, under others. Everyone else comes first. Uh, he says uh, that others are more significant than yourselves. More significant. Not more valuable, not more worthy, not more lovable, but But more important, uh, the primary person in the room is not you any longer. He says, count others as primary. Count others as more important. Positionally, place yourself under or after. I was thinking where this occurs, where uh, others get everything they want, uh, uh, and it's in the, the VIP section, isn't it, right? Like uh, you come in to a concert and you, you see this roped off section, it's, that's the very important person section. That, that's where the important people sit. I, I got to go to a, a Washington Nationals game, I got to sit in the box. The box was awesome. You go up this elevator. No one else can go there. There's like a guard at the elevator saying, are you allowed up here? Yes, I am. Right? I got this very important person ticket, uh, which is more shiny than the other tickets. And I, I go up, and I, I get to eat all I want. I get to watch the game from a leather chair. <laughs> That was pretty awesome, right? Uh, see, very important people get everything that everyone else wants. And what Paul says here is, in Christ, would you count others very important, more important than yourself? And when you enter the room, would you figure out what everyone else wants, what everyone else needs, and, and would you give your resources, your time, your effort, that they would get what they want? Count them that way and you this way. Uh, see, in the Christian life, we should shirk against the opposite. There was this mega church in New York, right? And, and the, everyone, every congregant got to come in and sit. But then there was a section for very important people. So Justin Bieber and others got to sit there. And you read the article about it, or at least I did. I'm like, ugh. 
that feels wrong, right? Because in the church, we should be coming in and saying, how can I give myself for your good? I, I don't want the best seat. I want you to sit in the best seat. It's a pervasive paradigm of our lives uh, that we are conduits of God's grace. That we count others more important than ourselves makes us conduits of his grace. It's the way Jesus lives here, isn't it? In verses 5 to 8, we see uh, what did Christ do? He, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness. He said, I've got all these resources in heaven. I am the Son of God, the King of kings, and what I want to do is I want to use them for the good of my people. We see Paul counts himself a conduit of God's grace as well. He places himself under and after and actually he he in a cell uh, sense becomes invisible just a channel through which god's grace will flow that's a, what a conduit is uh, you know you got these water conduits or you got electrical conduits what it is just a wire that electricity flows through it's as though i'm not even here a conduit says i'm just here uh, that the grace of god would go through me Paul says in verse 17, after he's talked about what Jesus has done here, he says in chapter 2, verse 17, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. I just want to be a conduit of his grace. I just want to pour my life out for your good. I want to take all that Jesus has given me and pour it out for you. Uh, this is the paradigm of God's people all through the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, uh, God comes to Abraham and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make for me a people, God says. And I, I'm going to make you this great nation. Why? I'm going to bless you. And then he says it. Why? So that you might be a blessing to all nations. I'm going to pour out the riches of heaven on you so that you could pour them out on others. Or, or Jesus, when he comes on the scene in, in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, the same way that I've loved you, I want you to love others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, it's this great passage. Uh, uh, Paul is talking about how, man, they, the, they have been living for God but suffering like crazy. And then God says this really great phrase of a conduit. He says, says, as I comfort you, I want you to comfort others. God even redeems our suffering that as he comforts us, we might then be conduits of grace in the lives of others who are suffering, that they might be comforted through us. As he walks with us through cancer, he says, I I'm going to pour out my comfort in the life of someone else who has cancer. As he walks through us uh, through uh, an inability to have children, he says, I'm going to walk with you in the way as I comfort others who can't have kids. He says, I'm going to walk with you here in comfort. Why? So you can comfort others. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. See, a humble person, they don't live their lives as, oh, woe is me. I'm just like this. I'm a nothing. And you all can step on me. And they don't live, oh, woe is me. I'm amazing, right? But instead, they forget themselves as a conduit would. It's not the wire that matters. It's the electricity that's flowing through it. It's not the aqueduct that matters. It's the water that flows into the city. 
And we as Christians say, and I have been given this house to use it for you. I've been given these resources to use it for you. Everything I have is for your good. You are the very important person in the room. Because that's just what our Savior did for us. People are no longer pawns then to be used to get ahead or to get something from or to make something of me. Uh, people can be uh, enjoyed in the moment because you don't have somewhere more important to go because you're so important. But uh, when you step into uh, the presence of someone, you can be fully present. And you aren't there to tell every story about how wonderful this was or how terrible that was. But you're there to ask questions and hear about them because a conduit is interested in the other person in the room. We're not there to slander others to make uh, ourselves feel better or greater or get something good for me. But we're there to, to bless and encourage those around us. To give everything we have for the very important people in the room, everyone else. But, but you might say, doesn't that kind of just make us a doormat to be stepped on as Christians? Doesn't that just make us a doormat just to be stepped on and crunched? And, and, and everything in me wants to say, no, 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 because here's what you got to do, right? Look at Jesus' life. He's a doormat. He comes to die. He's born a baby. The, the king of heaven comes to be crucified in our place. He goes all the way to the cross, stepped on, beaten, hung up, stabbed with a spear, dead. For you and for me. And now he does this for the interests of others, right? Like uh, there are moments when he just, man, he stands up strong, right? And, and he pushes back, right? Because he knows the interests of others. And there are moments where, where we, we, don't, we don't just give and give and give, where it's not, it's not helpful. It's not for the interests of others that, that, uh, that you just keep giving without uh, recourse. And, and, and every kind of resource that you give out is just squandered and spent by the person you're giving to in a way that's unhelpful for them. We have to set boundaries in our lives as well and say, man, what would be helpful as I pour myself out for the good of this person, whether it's a son or a daughter or a neighbor or a co-worker? And we set boundaries and we use wisdom, but yes, we pour ourselves out and all of our resources for the good of others. Uh, but what if I'm right, right, we might ask, but what if I'm uh, at work and I, I know actually uh, the, the interest of the team is to go this way and, 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 and I'm not, look, they are interested in going that way or this person's interested in going that way, right? Uh, but what if I know this is right? Like what, what am I to do in that situation? And, and look, we're given the spirit to live in wisdom as we pour ourselves out and seek the interest and the good of others around us. And there are some times where, you know, Jesus, he disagrees vehemently with the Pharisees. And they say, uh, we want to live in this religious system. And he says, no, that's wrong. <laughs> because it's for their good interests, their best interests. And sometimes standing up for what uh, you know is right is the best way to pour yourself out for the good of another. But Paul says, live in this pervasive paradigm. Live positionally under and after, and particularly through, for the good of others. And, and do this proactively, he says next. Do this proactively. Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
the picture here is kind of like hide and go seek. Uh, Paul says, look, be on the lookout. And not just for your own interest, but for the interests of others. Uh, uh, when, when Leo goes and hides, you, I, I chase him down. It's so fun, right? I'm going after him. I'm, I'm looking for him. In an Easter egg hunt, you say, man, I'm going to get that Easter egg, right? You chase after it. And Paul says, in your life, in my life, what are we to do? Uh, come into every room looking for the needs that are there. Come into every neighborhood looking for the needs that are there. Go proactively into a different neighborhood to look for the needs that are there. Go and look, he says. Look, not just to your own interests. I love that he says not only to your own interests. He says, yeah, meet our own needs, right? We are to meet our own needs, uh, but, but for daily bread, not for steak. Meet your own needs, but also look proactively for the interests of others, not neglecting those around us. This is how Jesus lived his life. Uh, he came looking for our needs in every circumstance. He says, yeah, you need food, I got you. There's this crowd around him, about 5,000, and he says, uh, you're, you're weary without food, I'm going to provide it. Uh, Jesus says, uh, you need embrace, I, I got you. Uh, there's this time, there's this adulterous woman. She's been shamed by her whole community. She's there to be shamed before Jesus by these Pharisees and lawyers. And he says, I'm going to embrace you with grace and relationships. He says, you need embrace, you need food, I got you. You need hard truth, yeah, I got you. He looks at the Pharisees and says, you're like whitewashed tombs. He says, I know what uh, would be to your benefit, to your interest, I, I got you. And he calls them out like crazy. He says, you need, sal you need salvation, you need life with the, the living God, relationship with the living God. You need comfort from his love. You need tenderness and compassion and mercy from our God. You need fellowship with him and fellowship with each other. You don't want to be alone. I got you. I'll come from heaven to give it to you. One of my favorite passages, Jesus, it's the end of his life. It's this last week, and it's you know, just before the Feast of Passover, John chapter 13 says. Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And he loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them all the way to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, even Judas, <laughs> Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands, that he'd come from God and was going back to God. He rose up from supper. He laid his outer garments aside and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. When he poured out water in a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I love the phrase. It says, he knew he had all things from the Father. He knew that he was coming from God and he was going to return back to God. You, you know, he knew he had it all in the provision of heaven and the Father himself. And, and, and in that moment, what's he do? And when he's the greatest person in the room, he gives it away. He takes out his out, uh, outer garments, he wraps a towel around himself, and, and he wipes dirt and dung off of his disciples' feet. He gives himself away as a servant. Every step of the way, this is how our Savior has lived for us. You know how you and I often live, how I live? With my thumb in the pizza. This is what I always used to do growing up. My brother and I, 
We'd say it's pizza night, right? One very often in our house, we'd get this big old pizza ordered out, and my mom and dad, they'd open it up, and they'd say, we got to pray first. Okay, we got to pray, but all, we're just chomping at the bit, right? And what I would do is I'd say, I want that piece, and I'd put my thumb right in it. I'd pick the biggest piece, of course. And then we get done praying. Of course, my brother's not going to take that piece. And I'd get it. And Jesus, man, he comes into the room. He's like, I brought the pizza for you. And he gives everything away for us. Our resources for their good. Uh, Most of the time when somebody wins the lottery, it ruins their lives. Uh, they get an opportunity uh, to, to live out every selfish ambition, every vain conceit. And, and uh, Sheila Randall was uh, 69 in Florida when she won the lottery, $55 million. She was single, she was a little older, 69, and she kind of lived a simple and kind of happy life, and as the New York Times tells the story. And, and she wins the lottery. And her quote is great. She, she says, you know, I, I think it was the grace of God that I won. I realized that I must, it, it must have been a reason that he gave me all this money. So I decided to give it away to senior citizens, to the lonely, and, and to cats. <laughs> I love that she gives it to cats. She did. And she gave it all away for about six years. Then she died of cancer, but she died with greater joy, she would tell us. Because all the resources have been given to her, she decided, I'm, I, this is not for me. I'm a conduit. I'm going to give it all away. Uh, she started a foundation, and that foundation is building uh, homes for the homeless now and, and uh, providing rent and salaries to uh, single moms and caring for folks. And, and it's just giving it away over and over again. Why don't we do this? Because we think our resources are so limited, so scarce. 1 Kings chapter 17, one of my favorite stories uh, of Elijah, the prophet. He's, he's prophesying to Ahab. He's like, man, you guys are going down, right? You need to repent and follow the Lord. And, and then he gets kicked out. This uh, drought comes, and, and the Lord came to Elijah. He says, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he rose and he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Hey, bring a little water in a vessel that I might drink. And she was going to bring it. And he called to her again and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand, too. And, and she said, Listen to what she says to him. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I might go in and prepare it for myself and for my son. And we we will then eat it and die. We've come to the end of our wits. We've come to the end of our resources. And Elijah says, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward make for yourself and your son. And thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did Elijah said. And she and and he and her household ate for many days. 
And the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. God says, test me in this. Give yourself away like my son has given himself away for you. And see that you who reap bountifully uh, are those who sow bountifully. If you give it away bountifully, watch your uh, harvest come in. But if you, if you uh, sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly, he tells us in 2 Corinthians 9. He has given everything to us in his son. Would you be a conduit, he says, and watch me provide. I've opened the storehouses of heaven for you in Christ. Won't I meet your needs? Test me, he says. Uh, We here at the well want to be a conduit of his grace. Flat out, we want to be a conduit of his grace. Uh, It's the way we've built our budget. I pray it's the way each of us individually build our budgets as well. Uh, I, I just want you to hear some of the things we gave money away to uh, this year, uh, us, the church, together. Uh, first off, uh, uh, we budget about uh, just under 30% to give away to, to church planting, to local missions, and to international missions. We say, whatever comes in, we want it to go out the door as a conduit. Uh, just uh, in uh, this past December, we uh, decided to give $2,400 to Crew, a ministry uh, reaching college students on, on the University of Maryland and Montgomery County campuses. Uh, Joseph Sharon, who's doing work in India uh, with ICBM, uh, we're planning a trip uh, to India to go work along with him again, our second trip there. We said, hey, here's $2,000. Why? Because he came to us and said, hey, I want to build a church uh, where there is no church among these unreached people. There's now a pastor and a couple new converts. Uh, if they had a building, they could begin to flourish. And he said, it'll only cost $2,000 more. Would you give it to us, the well? And we did. Gideon Banda, working with East West Ministry in Kenya, caring for uh, the lowest of the low who've got just nothing and also have never heard the gospel. He said, uh, would you partner with us? We gave him $2,000 and said, can, can we come and figure out some work with you this coming year? YWAM, Homes for Hope, we, we gave $1,000 to just in December. Uh, this is one of my favorite. Vulnerable Children Ministry is, is working among foster uh, care kids and their families. We said, hey, you team, it's just, God is flourishing through your work here at the well. Would you take this $3,000 and just figure out the best way to use it among vulnerable children in December? Man, praise God, church. Your generosity is going out to take the gospel out with it. Montgomery County Coalition for the Homeless, about $2,000 was given in Thanksgiving and donations. $2,000 given to Georgia Forest and homeless families that are particularly getting gift baskets and gift cards. Man, that'd be a blessing. When literally they had nothing to eat, they're living in hotels, and they said, what we most need is gift cards. We said, okay, here you go. Way to go, church. (laughs) And we didn't even mention just a thousand spent in benevolence in our body, rent, counseling, cars, homes, outreach, service projects, any of this kind of stuff. You know what I love? If our community groups, if individuals in our body this December and January say, how can we pour out what God has given us? Uh, we have grant proposals, right? This is just this little form that says, we've got an idea as a community group or as an individual uh, to give out the resources uh, that God's given here at the well. Would you just fill one out? A thousand bucks, right? And figure out a good way to spend the money of the well for the work of the gospel in December or January. Would you do it? Somebody in a community group or a whole group or somebody in an individual that says, I've got a great way to to use this $1,000 to leverage it for the work of the gospel. Man, fill it out and let's work together. Uh, We're challenging each of us to figure out a a way, an act of love 
a word of hope, a gift of grace. We need to engage in pouring ourselves out this December as our Savior has poured himself out for us. An act of love. I'm just going to pick up on what Sarah shared as a challenge. Would you love, if you got kids, one of your teachers this week, would you do something just absolutely loving for them? And maybe put a little tag on there. You know, as Jesus has loved me this season, I just want to pour this out on you and just do something loving. A word of hope. You know, last time we talked about this idea, uh, this kind of bottom rung challenge of a word of hope of the good news of our Savior who's poured himself out. That last week was this idea of just ask somebody if you can pray for him. As they're sharing something hard, would you just say, hey, would you mind if I prayed for you? One of my neighbors this past week just shared uh, one of her friends passed away just tragically and quickly. And at first I was just like, man, I'm so sorry. And I, and I was. And then I said, would you mind if I just prayed for you? She said, I'd love that. Uh, this week, here's a challenge. A word of hope. Tim Keller writes this book, Hidden Christmas. Uh, we gave you this uh, Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness book as well. This, uh, would you pick one of these up on, on your way out? We've got about 15. If you then uh, want to invite one or two or three other people to read about who Jesus is and what he's done, go ahead and snag one on your way out. And lastly, a gift of grace. If you want to engage in a substantial way with a gift of grace, pouring out your resources at the end of the year, uh, would you pray about what is God calling you to give as an end-of-year gift and just pour out your resources financially for the work of God and the gospel here at the well? Uh, what's he calling you to give come uh, December 31st that, that you might engage in the work that God is doing now as well as preparing us together for what he has next for us here at the well? Every week we're reminded that we don't just pour ourselves out because we want to be good people. But we pour ourselves out because of what our Savior has done for us, how he's poured out his life for us. If you're following Christ this morning, I just want to remind you of what he's done. His body has been broken, his blood has been spilled. The resources of heaven opened up for you and for me. That he might pour new life into us in a relationship with a living God. And that he's given us everything we have. Why? For the good of those around us. That they might meet the Savior who's poured himself out for them. So let's take and eat and remember who our Jesus is and what he's done. Giving his life. A baby born to die this Advent. Let's take and